welcome back to the FT Podcast. I'm joined today a very special guest, Annette Badlad. How are you today, Annette? How, I'm how's life going? Absolutely fine. It's a bit bleak out there. It's a bit dismal, but uh, I, <laughs> well, I'm a bit further south, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I saw Banshees of Inner Sharon yesterday, which is not what you expect, is it? What um, did you make of it? Extraordinary. Uh, I love Colin Farrell. Well, yeah. I love them both. I love the teamwork that they have. Yeah. Um, and it has such resonance. It kind of carries on reverberating in your brain and friendship. Yeah. And at first I thought, well, it's a very Irish story. Isolation and, you know, um, lonely communities and, um, you know, the Brendan Gleeson chopping his fingers off. Yeah. Uh, despite someone else, which is often what we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we damage ourselves in hurting someone else. But um, It's what Madonna does so well, though, is that these yes. relatable stories, but off-the-wall elements to them uh, yeah. <laughs> all the time. Um, I know I read somewhere that you're a fan of Three Billboards as well, his yeah, previous film. Yes, I certainly am. <laughs> Francis so, McDormand, I long, I keep telling everybody I meet because I'd love to work with her. I yeah. think um, an extraordinary actress. Yeah. Who else do you have on that, that list? Well, um, Tom Hardy, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Don't, don't we all? Not that he isn't an absolutely fabulous actor, but... Yeah. <laughs> Going for the scenery. <laughs> <laughs> so, Annette, just to start asking about life, like, have you, what plans have you got for the weekend? What have you been doing with yourself oh, this week? Oh, well, I'm going to, um, I was, hope, why I'm talking about the Dreek is because I hope to do a bit of gardening. So, that's <laughs> tricky. Um, yes. So, I, I'm going to cook. We have an Italian dish that's so simple and it's shin of beef and lots of garlic and tomato oh. paste and red wine. <gasps> and it, it starts off like a stew and then, you know, it becomes, you know, like a ragu, it thickens. So I'm going to do that. Mm. Um, and I'm off to Geneva for to a film festival with the Midsummer Murders gang. And I've never been on a jolly with them before. So yeah. we're off early Monday morning. So tomorrow night I've got to go off to Heathrow and sit in the hotel ready for an early flight on Monday morning. Oh, dear me, there's something so stressful about flights these days, just oh, in the current environment. Just. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just don't know, do you? You have no idea. The idea of going to an airport and being grateful that you get somewhere um, <laughs> and that you get back again is extraordinary. And I did do, all, you know, I, I did some filming last year uh, in Bulgaria and Germany and the paperwork and the you know for covid so i'm very pleased that has relaxed yeah um and you know i can just enjoy the shopping in the airport <laughs> and not frantically looking at the board all the time seeing if it's but now they're going to have a strike for uh, i meant to go to kansas for um sounds like i'm a great international traveler it just happens to happen <laughs> A fortnight. The suitcase um, is always packed. <laughs> uh, I'm going to Kansas to do a convention for another series I was in called Outlander. Yeah. Um, which is filmed up in Scotland. Yeah. And, 
I can't think what I was going to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> the I am double packing. That is yeah. what I'm going to tell you. It's something else. <laughs> oh, they're having a, a baggage handler strike. That's I was yeah. complaining. I was having a good old moan. Um, yeah, <laughs> a baggage handler strike whilst I'm there. So I'll, I'll get there. But whether my suitcase ever gets back to me in England, I don't know. Oh, dearie me. I had that uh, once. It was um, coming back from Australia. My suitcase was stuck for a week in Dubai or something like that. Um, <laughs> it was horrific. Did you, did you enjoy its break? Um, no. Well, it was all the clothes I owned. So I had a very troubling week. <laughs> it was terrible. And then before we get into sort of career stuff, I wanted to ask you, you said there about gardening. Would you say you're particularly green fingered? Is that one of the things you do to sort of de-stress in your spare time? It certainly is. I don't know how green. I love plants and I don't seem to be too bad with them. But yes, it's a huge resource. It's about hope you plant something and, you know, for next year. It's uh, it calms me down. You know, the first thing I tend to do is to go out of the French windows and have a wander around the garden when I get back. And it just restores you. It's uh, a big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, 100 percent. I think a lot of people found that with um COVID if they didn't have a garden they really wanted one after that you know the isolation was that a good sanctuary for you during that time do you think yes it was um we had one set of neighbors who left so it was terribly quiet for a long time and then a new neighbor did lots of buildings so it wasn't very quiet (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, but yes, of course it was. And we sat out there a great deal because it was brilliant as well. We had really good weather the first lockdown. Yeah. We had a fantastic time. So that was lovely. Um, you know, and I'm planting the tulip bulbs ready for next year and, oh. you know, alliums and all sorts of things. So I want to get out there and get digging, really. It's one thing that I wish I was better at. I think it's something that takes patience, which is something I don't have. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. It does require. But the rewards are fantastic. And once you start, you get hooked. There's no two ways about it. And it's the way you can paint with colour. You know, you're painting, you're being creative. And it's really the plants that are doing it. But you think, you know. Yeah. And colour contrasts and um, different leaf textures, all manner of things. And the wildlife, the birds that come and the foxes and all of that. So it's Love a that. huge delight. You I must suppose. try harder. Well, you're painting a very good picture of your garden. Yeah. So if anything's going to convince me to get into it, you know, you've got a, got a wonderful sort of Disney yeah. magic going on have, there. <laughs> you could have barbecues as well. And, you know, well, I'll t- I'll tell you this, the last time I had a barbecue, I planned it weeks in advance for my birthday, everyone round, we get to the week of and a big storm hits in Scotland <laughs> and everyone's like, so you cancelling it? I was like, no, no, I got like three gazebos, I'm barbecuing out in the, yes. the pouring rain with an umbrella over my head. <laughs> well, that's exactly what my other neighbours do. I've seen Will outside, you know, in torrential rain and there he is at the barbecue with his umbrella and there are people cowering in the doorway of the kitchen waiting (laughs) (laughs) they're not out there with him (laughs) yeah no uh, no never (laughs) having a a wee bevy and saying come on where are the (laughs) (laughs) so let's let's get into the career though like obviously you have been working for many many years now very prolific but what were the performances when you were younger that sort of inspired you to get into acting do you think 
Eric Porter, mm. I don't know if people will remember. Um, I, I'm from Birmingham and I used to go to Birmingham Rep. And I don't know where it really, well, I suppose being daft in class for me, <laughs> uh, you know, waiting to hand work in and uh, pretending I was in a bus queue, I remember, and, you know, <laughs> hand out to see if it was raining and, you know, all sorts of things to make the class laugh. Teacher must have been furious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I admired uh, Ralph Richardson, I loved rather than the um, John Gielgud was wonderful, but that was rather stuffy for me and mm. very poetic. And I loved Ralph Richardson's sort of honesty and humor and. Um, so that was, and I started, and because of Eric Porter, I went to the RSC and saw productions because he was working there. And it just blew my socks off, you know, it was just fantastic, this other world. So um, I then, uh, in secondary school, joined, you know, the drama group there. The local WI asked if I'd, they, they had a teenage part, would I go and perform with them in the local festival? And it just sort of grew from there. Um, RSC was a great draw for me, and it was one of the first things I did. Just the quality of the work. And Shakespeare, you know, just says it all. Um, yeah. He understands the human condition so well. You know, it's um, just to be reveled in, really. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And was there a conversation sort of around that time because you're saying that sort of the, the ball started rolling in high school do you remember turning to your sort of mum and dad and saying I want to be an actress or was it something that they always sort of knew were you one of these kids who was always obvious what you were going to do <laughs> um well uh I would be recreating Cliff Richards in the living room and <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that and I wanted to, they gave, bought me a, they were working class and it must have been hard for them. They bought me a typewriter when I was 10, an Olivetti Litra 22, so I could write <laughs> scripts and send them off. Amazing. But uh, of course they wanted me to be a teacher. They were yeah. very worried for me and, you know, oh gosh, you know, people don't work and shouldn't you be a teacher? And, mm. um, and, and I always say to people that want to, you've got, to, can be nothing else you can do. Yes. If you can do something else, do it, because it ain't, <laughs> it ain't an easy life. It yeah. just is perpetually difficult mm -hmm. um, and you have to suffer rejection. And, uh, you know, I don't know how the kids cope. Now, I had a young actress that I did um, a performance with last summer for new writing. Mm. You know, and her agents, clearly she isn't working very much, so her agents dumped her. And yeah. she was saying, please, can you tell me any way I can get my foot in the door? And mm -hmm. in my time, there was rep, there was more theatre. Yeah. Uh, now kids are having to sort of pay to work and do, you know, low-budget, no-budget films to get a mm -hmm. piece of tape, you know, self-tape for themselves and to promote themselves. So it's really tough. Um, and there's an awful lot of us, everybody, there's a lot of people who think they don't want to act. Mm. Yeah. They want to be a star. Yeah. But there's a heck of a lot, you know, and, and maybe ultimately some of some of these people can 
perform. Mm. But for me, it was always about understanding life and interpreting things and saying, I feel this, do you feel it? Uh, yeah. You know, is this common ground, is it not? Um, and the words are always, when I get a script, it's always about the right. If you've got really good writing, then it, that's fantastic. You know, yeah. you're off the way, you're off the diving board. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. deep in that water and holding your breath and having a great time. Um, yes. Some are belly flops. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I always respond to the writing, whatever level it's at, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a low budget movie or not, if if people are trying to share something in the world and do it well, why not? Sorry, Annette. Um, no, no. What I was going to say is what was, what's been the sort of most rewarding performance that you've done maybe on stage for that, um, that you can recall? Well, uh, I loved being in The Rise and Fall of Little Voice, which became a film called Little Voice yeah. with Jane Horrocks. And in the play, it was Alison Steadman and Pete Bosselthwaite. Yeah. And it was written by Jim Cartwright, yes. in a school called Cartwright. And that was seeming reality that was poetry. Mm. It was modern day, it was rough, it was... But the audience had such a full meal. They went through everything. They had a lot of laughter. They had music. They had pain, anxiety, human condition, just. And Sadie May, who I played, was um, Alison's best friend, who wasn't Alice, um, Sadie wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but she had heart and um love and absorbed pain for others and tried to support them um and the audience used to laugh at me laugh at her when i first went on but by the end of the night they were laughing with me mm. and this character had about 10 orchids and one <laughs> or two sentences yeah. So that, to be able to create that, you know, and, and Alison and I did a dance where we, you know, I ran over the sofa and up the wall and <laughs> so glorious things like that. And listening to Jane, who's a great impersonator. So she was absolutely fantastic with the songs and Shirley Bassey and Scylla and all the other characters that she that she played. Um, so that was a huge journey for me and not to blow my trumpet, but I was nominated for an Olivier. Yeah. Didn't get it, always been bitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if someone writes a part like that, mm. yeah, that you can explore and take an audience on a journey and then be nominated, as I say, it was about 10 OKs, 10 or 12 OKs and, and a couple of sentences. So that's magic that's magical um and that you can bring an audience to understand someone without too much dialogue or words or you can do it another way and how so do you love, love to say and how do you start that process in it then because you're talking about the page and it being there and then taking the audience on that journey but what's the yeah. step in between how do you find the entry point 
uh, as I say, the script, reading, reading, consider it what other people say about you, what, you know, what other characters say about you, thinking about the situation and the time it happened. Um, if it certain characters, you can do a lot of um, research. You know, I played Gertrude Stein and I, I was in a modern play called After Edward. Um, and I didn't know if I'd like her. I wasn't sure. And, I, and then I fell in love with her. Um, there's lots of things I don't like about her. <laughs> but the exploration for that was fantastic, you know, and just opened me up to an awful lot of, because she had her salon in Paris, so lots of artists and Picasso and, you know, just T.S. Eliot popped in and <laughs> you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald was there, and, yeah. you know. It's some party that. <laughs> yeah, yes. But you see, she um, she was gay and her partner, Alice B. Toklas, uh, <laughs> would be in the kitchen with the, mm. uh, as it said in the play, with the wives of the other geniuses. <laughs> um, you know, so I reveled in her for a while. Um, but that was, that was, in regard to researching and things so you you have to kind of um be a bit of a pathologist and you have to use your imagination too yeah. um i went to east 15 which was um you know stanislavski and the method and so i still you know if i'm stuck we had units and objectives you break your script down into blocks and what you're design, what you're trying to get, you know, at that point underneath the dialogue, what's going on internally, um, and I find that a huge resource. We also used to we went to the zoo and did animals. We had to observe animals and um, what characteristics and things like that. <laughs> and I still remember one guy who was an owl. So he just he was very athletic. He managed to balance on the top back of a chair. And just sort of turn his head like about. <laughs> that is magnificent. <laughs> Lots of people opted to be sloths, of course. The lazy ones of the group. <laughs> that is that's too relatable. That is too relatable, especially for a Saturday morning. <laughs> that's what I'm like every every Saturday morning. But I, I wanted to ask you, one of the starts to your career was um you were Ian McKellen's actors group. Now, do you have any stories that you can share from that time and the personalities that were involved there? I'm sure there were many. Oh, my, there were. Ted Tetherbridge, Felicity Kendall, um, Carol Blakiston, Sheila Reid. I keep, Sheila and I keep now, we've been in, you know, she's in Big Boys. I'm in a Channel 4 series called Big Boys and... um, She's in that too. Then we did a film last summer. We never, we haven't met. We haven't worked together. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit strange. And I understudied her. I was an acting ASM then. And uh, we had a couple of, I've got a friend who still call me boobs. <laughs> <laughs> My big story from is when they asked me to do it, um, Felicity was very pregnant. Well, she wasn't very pregnant then, but she would have been by the end of the, um, the run. And they intimated that, of course, she was pregnant. So I would be taking over as the hotel maid in the Fado farce opposite Ian. 
Well, Felicity would not give that part up. (laughs) (laughs) She carried on. um, We've worked together as well since then, so we're all fine. Um, (laughs) No hard feelings. (laughs) I've let her get away with it. (laughs) But um, the other female acting ASM, uh, be- because I couldn't play the maid, I had to be the hotel tart. So I came on in a <laughs> bustier in a black pen lace peignoir and everything. So since then, for her, I'm boobs or boo, <laughs> and we go on posh um, kind of uh, cruises down the Nile in Egypt. She's coming. Come on, boobs! Come along, boo boo. <laughs> oh no! So that started there. Um, yeah. There was a time we'd done a run, and I can't remember which play. It must have either been The Farce or Tis Pity She's a Whore. And everybody got plastered. (laughs) It must have been towards the end of rehearsals. And Frank Middlemass, 1011s, was in the company. They were rolling around on the floor giggling. You know, just everybody. And I joined in. (laughs) <laughs> and then I was taken aside by one of the actors the next day and was told that you did not do that, um, that you did not join in those sorts of things. So I was ticked off. Oh. But we had a great time. We toured. We did Edinburgh. And it was when you, um, I remember Caro coming in um, with egg custards uh, mm. one morning because when we started, you would do a sort of, you'd do a 24-hour get-in right. in a theatre. And we were opening in the Edinburgh Festival. So you travel there, you start one morning if you're an acting ASM, you you know, you wreck the set, you go through the night. You used to go through all the night there and sleep under a, you know, your dressing table or something, catch a few hours. Then you'd be setting up for the show, they'd do a you know, a dress run. Um, and then you would reset and you'd do your opening night. And I do remember Caro coming with trays of goodies on that sort of second morning <laughs> to try <laughs> lot of sugar to keep us going. <laughs> yeah. You would need it. You would need it. Yeah. That <laughs> Illegal now. Can't do it now. That that just doesn't happen. But then yeah. it was the norm. Yeah. Um, the male ASMs were, of course, lazy and terrible. So <laughs> we were just, there were three of them and, and two of us, two gals. Doing the heavy lifting. (laughs) And we drove around in a convertible Morris Thousand that had been painted purple, hand-painted purple, that Andrea, this girl that calls me boobs, would drive. But we had a great time. And we'd get there, and sometimes people didn't get where we're, you know, because you're all over the country. You'd be in Oxford and Billingham and then, you know, somewhere else the next day, the south coast or something. And little old PPJ, because that was his registration, um, always got us there. Might be hard to get out of the door because it was stuck, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things you remember, though. <laughs> mm. So that was the start. And then um, I played Mole in Toad of Toad Hall up at Lancaster and then went to the RSC and was ordering As You Like It and Lady Montague and... Uh, was with Ian Richardson and Dickie Pascoe, Estelle Kohler, um, Tim Dalton was in the company, Brenda Bruce, who I adored. Um, 
um, Jeff Dench, Judy's brother, who was very funny. Um, yeah. Lovely <laughs> man, yeah. <laughs> oh, incredible, incredible. Well, I need to... Nackins, Maureen Lippmann, we were all, we did As You Like It. David Suchet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> part of the company as well, and Nick Grace. Some company and some of our names there as well. But I, I wanted to ask you because um, you've been sort of open in the past that theatre is your first love. What is the, what do you find the key differences for acting between stage and screen? It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's the immediacy. It's right. the absolute, you know why you're doing it. And you know if you're hitting the button to, you know, if they, <laughs> laugh when you want them to and they cry when you want them mm. and it's um i'm saying you want but it's 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 mutual you the audience are part of it every night and it does change because of them their you know their attitude is often different um so yes that immediacy and the response and, and the involvement and it is yours i mean you yeah. can do a, a great in a film and it's never seen or yeah. you know it's shot from another angle and you know I had a friend who went to LA to work and he said oh never work with the star because it's all the back of your head and <laughs> <laughs> you know you think oh fantastic I'm going to yeah. be with Judy Garland well <laughs> they will we'll ever know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic. What do what do you think though? Like the best sort of sets or directors do to sort of help with that acting performance though, like to sort of bring it out in the absence of. Oh, the... I mean the when you have complicity with with the director and the other actors, it's just fantastic. Mm. Um, I mean, and some people are more technically driven, and you know. Um, but when you get a, a director who wants to talk about the character in the past and the, you know, where this comes, whatever you're doing at that time, mm. the impetus for that and what fed into you in your past yeah. uh, and what, what you desire in the future, you know, if you've got a director who's going to do all of that. Yeah. Um, and who is open because it's, you know, it is technical as well, whether if they're open to the actor mm. bringing things or they might go oh well it's this this and you say well isn't there also <laughs> and maybe a yeah. bit of yeah uh, and they go oh god yeah I just, you know yeah or, or yeah but and it grows and grows and grows and that's a it's a dialogue thing. yeah yeah 100 yeah. yeah. now it's shifting gears away from the sort of craft of it to the sort of public life and living so how have you dealt because you've had a couple of characters over the years I imagine that you will get recognized for uh, going around your day-to-day -day life how have you sort of dealt with that and navigated with that um, as you went on I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm shy yeah so I'm and I never assume people will know who I am and then I'm a bit taken aback uh, EastEnders was very difficult yeah. Um, because the audience treats you as your character. Mm. And that's yeah. the first time that had happened to me. You yeah. know, I was used to people coming in, oh, going, oh, I don't remember your name, but that thing I saw you in the other week, I loved its great series. Or why were you in that? <laughs> I hate that. Or usually you get, what have I seen you in? Yeah. And you list, 
10 things and they go, oh, no, I don't watch that. Oh, that's horrible. No. Oh, no. <laughs> and you crawl away on the pavement like a slug. <laughs> Utterly demoralised. Yeah. Um, but EastEnders, they would go, babe. Yeah. All right, babe. What, what's, what are you doing, babe? Are you? And I go, oh, gosh. This... Yeah. And I had death threats at the end because she was an unpleasant wow. character. Yeah. Um, and that's very disturbing. Yeah. And it, you think, I don't understand why people can't separate it. And I know you're in their living room every day. They invest enormously in the storyline and, and that's fantastic. But that there isn't that... Disconnect. ...vision for them. There, there isn't the disconnect. There isn't the... Mm this is something I enjoy as entertainment. They really are in the midst. Yeah, 100%. You know, and so there was a day where a girl, I was walking with a friend and we were talking about another friend who was dying. Mm. And I suddenly realised there was a girl videoing us uh, wow. in a conversation. And yeah. she was mid-teens. And I said, please, can you stop that? We're having a private conversation. Oh, well, I was only just, and dad, mum and dad came and said she wasn't doing it. And I said, well, you wouldn't, if I followed you, Yeah. you know, we're talking about something very private. Just ask me. Yeah. You know, ask for a picture, ask for a video with her or, yeah. but don't feel you steal part of my life. And I mean, I'm a nobody, God knows how, you know, real stars, you can see why people surround themselves and mm. are go out and... Yeah, and most people are fine, and it's just lovely. It's nice to be complimented, and yeah, <laughs> you know that's great. That's right. Um, and despite the baggage that comes with uh, a character like Babe, like you must have been proud of how villainous and, and devious yeah. that performance came off yeah. in the end. But I hear that that wasn't originally how that character was meant to sort of be portrayed in the beginning. Well, I um. I'd done a Dominic Treadwell Collins was the producer then. He right. did, he, I'd done a, a sky, a little sky film for him. Um, and he'd said, Oh, I'll always look for an Annette Badland shaped part. Then he got EastEnders and he said, Oh, come in and talk. And we talked a bit. He said, Oh, go on, I'll make her like she might be a pearly queen. And, yeah. uh, and I took a notebook and I've got written in big capital letters, good. <laughs> <laughs> so she was meant to be a good character um whether they always you know, maybe yeah. they were bluffing and they always <laughs> ended by, by the villains because i've done doctor who as well by then yes uh, he loves doctor who so <laughs> maybe they always intended for me to to be unpleasant but um I started and we did some, I had to keep going in and out to begin with because I was doing Outlander mm. and another Russell T. Davis series, yeah. um, Wizards versus Aliens. Yeah. Uh, so I did a few, you know, did uh, say four episodes went away. And then one day when I was back uh, permanently, mm. Tim West was in it and I was I'd always been in love with Tim and he'd sort of rejected me when I was younger yeah. we had this scene together and he was sitting on the sofa watching the television and it wasn't scripted but I came in and I picked up the remote and I turned the television off and told him what I had to tell him <laughs> <laughs> and at the end very unpleasantly just put the television back on and left and I think yeah. they thought oh 
She can be horrid. <laughs> yes. I remember Let's that scene. This. <laughs> I remember that scene. My dad, God bless him, will never miss an episode of EastEnders in his life, I don't think. It will take precedence over the football, over anything that's oh, going right. on. He, he will watch it every night, every night it's on without fail. So I remember that time. But the character did take a turn when you found out that she was indeed selling babies, was, was yeah. the, the crux of the character. Were you surprised by the turn that it took? Yeah, I mean, it's very dark, that. Yeah. You know, it's a very dark place to go. And she, you find reasons why, not for selling the babies, but she, yeah. I felt that Babe had never been loved. Yeah. All her life, no one had ever loved her. Yeah. And that made her resentful. And mm. she would try very hard to love people. You know, she would be willing to give but inevitably people let her down and that made her unpleasant and that grew and grew for her. Yeah. Um, and the selling babies, she felt, you know, she was taking babies from girls who couldn't keep the child. Yeah. In fact, she made a bit of profit out of it, but she was helping them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's you know that's the entry point into the character, like we were talking about earlier, isn't it? It's it's yes. trying to understand the character's perspective and point of view because everyone's the hero of their own story. At the yes, end of the you know, no, no one views themselves as the villain. Um, no, but you talked about Doctor Who there, like. I believe it was the, it was Christopher Eccleston season that you you appeared in, and that was obviously just after the relaunch of the show. Did you know then that it would become the sort of phenomenon once again that it had been sort of back in the day? They were very nervous because um, I was. We shot the, my first two episodes in it were the first two that were ever filmed. Yeah, um, because they don't necessarily shoot the first episode of something at the beginning they want yeah. the, the you know the wheels to be turning and it the, you know the cogs all oiled and they know what they're up to and actors feel comfortable and know where they are mm. so I was right there at the beginning and they were nervous um mm. they had no idea what the fans would think of it but they were fans themselves yes. you know Russell was um Chris was Phil Collins who was the producer. These, so it wasn't done with any cynicism, but with relish and love and, yeah. and knowledge. They'd all, re, you know, been huge fans. Yeah. So uh, we did a read-through at Cardiff Stadium, not on the pitch. <laughs> Ted Lasso would have loved that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> huge room where we had, you know... Um, execs from America and execs from Wales and execs from England on one long table uh, across the length of the room. Then actors on the other side, um, we had banks of people, heads of departments on either side of us. So it was quite gladiatorial. Yeah. You know, you kind of felt you were in the arena and also that they might hold up cards. <laughs> Six, one. <laughs> 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 and an eight. Um, so I felt, you know, Chris and Billy sitting there, you think, oh, gosh, this is, yeah. you know, hard. But it was great. Um, uh, and the audience were just thrilled. I mean, they had no idea, 
with timings for prosthetics and things. Um, mm. All of that process was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, when I did the first two episodes, they had a week's gap between blocks. Yeah. But when Russell wrote Boomtown for me and I went back just after Christmas, mm. no week breaks. I mean, they were just so up against it with kind of fulfilling all yeah. that was required. Um, but really relishing it and, and having a great time, really. They, um, they, it was, and Chris was wonderful, absolutely yeah. fantastic in driving it and caring about it and, you know, making sure everyone's okay. Yeah, and obviously you're playing a character that's eventually revealed to be this, this alien. <laughs> but, like, somehow, again, you found an entry point into the character I remember and you're talking about dialogue being written that scene between you and Christopher Eccleston and you're sitting at the the restaurant if you yeah. remember having the chat about the sort of nature of a killer and like if you say to him well only a killer would know that and I that was like the first time I remember watching Doctor Who and thinking oh someone's called out the doctor yeah. for their past misgiving so like was there all did you find that you could find something in that character as well similar to you did with babe oh yeah mm -hmm. yes um and she was she'd been left she was very lonely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was the only one around there was no yeah. one to talk to at night yeah. um yeah and she was the first character to confront the doctor mm. you know she she uh as you say called it out um, and that was a lot of fun. We had to do it in real time because <laughs> I was working um, on Cutting It, which was yeah. a Dawesfield series up in Manchester. Right. And, um, I had to come down to Cardiff for Doctor Who and they worked very hard making the schedule work. Mm -hmm. And I came down and we shot it in real time because of the big windows. Yeah. You know, we needed the dark and the light to change and things. And then they stuffed me in a bus at the end of the day and I went back to Manchester. <laughs> I did, they pushed me and a couple of pillows and a blanket in the back of a van and oh, uh, God. <laughs> North Manchester and got up to be Broadie in, in cutting it the next day. It's um, like going back to the theatre company, sleeping yeah. overnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Travelling troubadour. Um, but yes, she... Um, Margaret was, or blonde, yeah. you can call me blonde, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was great for, to have the doctor at the end as well. And she ended up as a little egg with a Rasta hairdo. Yeah. So she could go either way, you know, she could be recreated and, and work for good, you know. Yeah. But they were scrap merchants. They were, there was all sorts of scrap merchants of the skies. And, yeah. you know, you were, you were given clues because Russell is just brilliant. Mm. And he is, you know, he writes and you, in a couple of sentences, you move from comedy to pathos. Yeah. And um, so he gives you lots of, information and it's again although it's aliens it is about our human state mm. and reflecting that and uh, as you say in that restaurant scene for the two of them they are both aliens yeah. he isn't yeah. a human being either 
And I thought Chris got got that division, that sort of coldness, and that he mm. was alien too. Yeah. Um, so lovely stuff to relish and get involved with. And, Boy. and then I also liked saying, dinner in bondage works for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> she had to wear a bracelet. They, they were going to the restaurant, but she had to wear a sort of special bracelet so she didn't run away in there. <laughs> <laughs> but you brought it up earlier. So you were an outlander. Um, back yeah. in 2014, 2015, and it's still it's still something that you know it comes to this day. You're going to the convention, you were saying um, as well. What was your experience sort of like filming that show? Because I imagine it's a bit different from a studio setting, um, whereas you're up and there's all these locations and and the outfits and all that show are just magnificent. So, what was your experience like on on Outlander? Uh. Terrific, and I loved Cat. Yeah. I lo- adore Cat. I think you know, Katrina Bart is wonderful. Um, of course, I was on a set a lot because of the kit. They had to make the kitchen, right? Um, and parts of the castle. So um, we went to Stirling, and we went to the real castle that they use. But they yeah. actually, um, for me, it was a very muddy experience. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's Scotland. <laughs> yeah. Um, the castle we used has a, a, a central court that isn't covered in mud, but they put mud in it. And it, it was raining a lot, and I had to come down the staircase with Cat and then do oh. scenes. And I had Wooly to... The costumes were superb. Yeah. And Terry Dresback is very authentic. Mm-hmm. So I had several petticoats, several bum rolls, heavy woolen dress, um, and in those days pockets weren't in clothes. You had bags wow. which you tied around your waist. It was pre pre pocket. Uh, <laughs> so I had those, and I had woolly tights and probably stockings actually, not tights. Um, so we'd come down the stairs, and I'd yeah. go across the the mud and, <laughs> and by the end of the day the mud was past my knees on my woolen stockings and they wouldn't let me in the coach with everybody else to go back to base I had to go in and easy up and peel everything off yeah and they brought my own clothes to me and get in the back of a, another van yeah. um and then sort of be sprayed down when I got back to the studio so <laughs> but, uh, Oh, uh, another great crew of folk, you know. Yeah. Um, Gary Lewis, who we, we'd played Man and Wife in a film before, yeah. you know, and Graham McTavish, and Sam is wonderful. He's a yeah. beautiful man. Um, and the producer was wonderful, Ron, Ron D. Moore. Um, so there was a great deal to relish, and there was a great deal of, because, again, it was uh, the beginnings of something. Uh, A great energy and, um, as I say, Terry was astounding. And and there is also a scene where I had to bathe Kat and redress her. Yeah. And it was going to, it was a closed set because she was going to be naked. Yeah. And Terry, they said, we'll do it in real time, but it has to be a closed set. Um, 
And Terry said, well, I've worn them. It will take a while. You know, I was yeah. doing corsets and, yeah. you know, actually getting her into her shoes. And, you know, it took 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, everybody's out on the other side of the set, scratching their head and wondering what the hell is going on. <laughs> I, I'd found an old Celtic song, so I sang to her, which they hadn't, <laughs> probably because of my voice. They, um, it isn't in it. Right. But I did at one time to kind of, because I thought she would, she's working. This woman would, Mrs. Fitz would probably start humming yeah. something and keeping the, you know, no radio. Yeah. Um, you might well do that and a work song. and um, But it was, and then we went, had to go again, but they just, they Terry was saying, well, I told them. I just warned them that yeah. you know, it would take fire. <laughs> um, and then they also, it was so cold where we were filming, they started, they knitted mittens for oh. Kat and a few of us. And then we made jokes about Mrs. Fitz knits and uh, we <laughs> got a, a site where we could sell Mrs. Fitz knits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, obviously, you're still working to this day and then two very sort of successful recurring things that are going on you've got Midsummer Murders that you've you've joined and you're saying the, the cast you're going on your first sort of bonding excursion uh, with them <laughs> yeah they've managed to they did one other a uh, year or two ago and I couldn't go so this is my first jolly with the, the yeah. other you know with Nick and Neil and, and Fiona what are you expecting Naughtiness. <laughs> I will do not demand naughtiness. <laughs> we have been out together, and yeah. so I don't think this will be much different. <laughs> we'll be very diligent and work very hard when we have to. And yeah. we've got to go to a chocolate factory. I mean, goodness me. Yeah. Got to go out and do some publicity things in a chocolate factory. I mean, that's torture. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible life to lead. True, truly. <laughs> And always, I did have a question for you, right? Because um, May, the, May the Landlady and Ted Lasso, um, that's become a, a phenomenon of a show. It's sweet, sweet to everything. Um, but there was a, a line you had um, where you were discussing the best Martin Scorsese movie and your character <laughs> May thought it was Mean Streets. Do you agree with me? Is that your favourite Scorsese film? Yeah, anything he does is pretty fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Yes, I suspect it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's always yeah. that's always good. And yeah. I wanted to ask you as well. Obviously, um, May is at Richmond till she dies. Um, but what do you have a football team that you're aligned to whatsoever? The Lionesses. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I wasn't much interested in football apart yeah. from Georgie Best. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit like Tom Hardy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah they, I get it. <laughs> um, and then when I was doing um, cutting it, I thought, oh, this. And when I was young, you, it was frightening. There was a lot of violence, and mm. I didn't want to go particularly. Um, yeah. But I went to Manchester United when we were up filming, and I fell in love. I thought I'd hate the chanting. Yeah, but it was glorious. The colour, the gladiatorial aspect of it, and I just love the wit of all yeah. the chants and you know. <laughs> fantastic. Um, but you know, I'm a Brummie, but I, I, you know, uh, Aston Villa. I suppose it should be Birmingham City. 
Yeah. <laughs> family say Birmingham City, but um, <laughs> but now genuinely, I think the Lionesses are just tremendous, and yeah. I can get behind them wholeheartedly. <laughs> and it's great to see the sort of women's game getting spotlighted oh entirely different yeah. my goodness me and i was talking with an actor the other day and he said the touching thing was my dad mm. is behind them and would support them and normally his dad was someone who would not would poo poo yeah. female football. yeah uh and suddenly we're going oh yeah and they're really skilled and it and it is a different game you know it is um mm. but just fantastic clever girls I love it. I love it. And just to finish off here, in it, going forward, what what else do you want to accomplish? Is there anything on that list that you uh, would still like to do in your career? There's masses, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to accept that the Christmas present you open may not be what you yeah. sent the letter for, <laughs> Father Christmas, but it yeah. might be fantastic. It might just yeah. be, you know. No, I think it's so painful. You know, I wanted to be Lady M and all manner of things. Um, but you have to go with the flow. You have to... Uh, I think that's why the writing's important to me. I'm intrigued by... I don't put boundaries on mm. where I'll go and what I'll do. You know, when I started, I had friends who went, oh, no, I wouldn't go and do the bill or... No, oh, radio, no, you know. <laughs> I'm at the RSC, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But to me, it was all part of the craft and the storytelling and uh, you just don't know where it's going to come from next, you know. Um, so I'm open to any offer I'm given. I'm just <laughs> thrilled anybody wants me. Well, and that is true. I just, oh, you know, they want me. How fantastic. <laughs> there's, there's no surprise in that. Here's to taking it as it comes in the future, but whatever yeah. happens, you've had a phenomenal career, um, many great performances, and I can't, I can't wait to see uh, what happens next and what the future holds. But Annette, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Mm, it has for me too. <laughs> All the best to everyone. Yeah,